Well, Tim asked me to teach a little bit on church membership, and so I thought, okay, I would do that. Uh, church membership, uh, you talk to people, especially people who aren't members of a local church, they, they, people are very opinionated about church membership, and they'll tell you flat out that the Bible doesn't have anything in it that says we need to become members of a church, that it's totally a man-made um, thing that was developed so that uh, people could try to get control of other people and manipulate them or whatever, and that there's really no um, biblical warrant for church discipline. On the other hand, those who have studied it a great deal, for instance, Jay Adams uh, said church, quote, church discipline is only for believers. If someone isn't a member of a local church, they need evangelized, not discipled. Now you think, well, that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, Why would he say something so strong that if you aren't a member of a local church, you need evangelized? You you need Christ. That that is a strong statement. Mark Dever said, quote, if you are not a member of a church you regularly attend, you may well be going to hell. End quote. Think, well, that is strong language. I mean, how how could, you know, these men say something so definitive only because they read their Bibles? That's why. Joshua Harris in his book, Stop Dating the Church, offers three primary reasons people refuse membership in a local church. One, he says, they are me-centered. They don't want someone else telling them what to do. They don't want the accountability. They don't want people looking out for them. They want to do their own thing, go their own way in their own time. And so they don't become members of the local church. He said, secondly, they're just independent Um They want to have what they think is total control of their life. They want to be independent of any church. They want to be able to hop around to churches and uh, not be tied down. And a lot of times he says, thirdly, they're critical. You know, the sermons are too long there. The music isn't right. The carpeting isn't the right color. I don't like the way their programs work or whatever. You find those excuses common. People, they kind of look at the local church as people look at shopping malls. Well, what mall do you shop at? Well, I shop at this one because I like these things about it. And uh, I don't shop here because these stores aren't what I want. And I don't like the escalators and they don't have my favorite whatever. They aren't really thinking of the church as this spiritual body of brothers and sisters in Christ where God commands them to associate and worship and serve and glorify him in a corporate sense. They're just looking towards themselves and what they can get out of it. I would add that people don't want to become members of a local church, uh, especially a biblically driven local church because they're in sin. They know they're in sin and they know that if they become a member of a local church, they'll be put under accountability and possibly reproved, rebuked, exhorted, and even maybe publicly disciplined if they won't turn from their sin. There's a lot of reasons why people don't become church uh, members of a local church. Uh, but the reason is really not that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. 
what is the biblical support for the local church and why become a member? Well, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, if you have your Bibles, if not, and you thought, oh, I didn't know we were going to do teaching, um, you'll find one in the back of the pew there. There's some little ba- black pew Bibles. I just want to show you some texts here, this one especially, and this will uh, help explain why Jay Adams, Mark Dever, and others make such strong, definitive statements about the condition, the true spiritual condition of your soul as it relates to church membership. In Hebrews 10... Verses 23 and 25, it's a familiar text that many of us know. Some of us have it memorized, I'm sure. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us not, and let us consider, not, there's no not there. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm sure we, we know that verse. That's one of those verses we hear about because, uh, you know, we encourage one. Another. Usually verse 23 is left off and we just start in verse 20. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Here, there is a clear indication, these two let us statements at the beginning of verses 23 and 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This must be done in the context of the local church. There's no other way to do it. Uh, because uh, verse 25 says, not forsaking our own assembling together, it's telling us how or the context in which we are to hold fast the confession and encourage one another um, uh, and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It happens in the context of assembling together in a local church. Obviously, this isn't talking about the universal church in heaven of saints uh, dead now and uh, everybody together that uh, won't be assembled until the second coming uh, when all the believers are gathered together. But here in verse 25, we are not to forsake our own assembling together. And he says, as is the habit of some. So he, he gives the exhortation, I want you to assemble together. I don't want you to be forsaking the assembling together as some have made it a habit. Instead, contrast, but I want you to be encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the assembly here is the local church assembly. That's what it is. So obviously, it is the will of God, since we are under uh, exhortation in this text, to regularly be in the habit of assembling with the people of God for the purpose of encouraging one another and in an increasing way as you see the second coming of Christ about to unfold. And if you were to ask me, it should have happened last week. So we should be on it. And we also know that our commitment to the local church is important because of what follows these three verses, verses 23 to 25. This is often read out of context, and a lot of people don't think of this in relationship to not forsaking the assembly, but this is exactly what it's talking about when verse 26 goes on to say, for if we go on sinning willfully, and what is the nearest sin mentioned in the text? Forsaking the assembly together. 
uh, as is the habit of some. If we go on sinning willfully, we could add in there, if we go on forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, you may think, what does that mean? Well, obviously, it's not good. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. Now, do you see where Adam's endeavor got their thought there? Because that's what the Bible says. Those who don't come to church, who don't want to associate themselves with the local body of, quote, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been given a spiritual gift to serve the church, who can be around others to receive the benefit of their spiritual gifts, who can give in the context of the local church and who don't care about all the benefits of the local church, show themselves that they are under that terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. It's a scary passage. This is one of the scariest passages in the New Testament. And it is directed at those who won't commit to the local church. So that's why it's a serious issue, and that's why we want to look at it tonight, and that's why you can understand why Dever and Adam said what they did. The Apostle John in 1 John 2.19 says something similar, not quite as scary, but talks about those who won't assemble uh, uh, on a regular basis. He says, and they went out from us, so they, they kind of came around the church for a while and They were among the believers, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it may be shown that they are not all of us. And John is saying the same thing. He says there's people who come and go in church. There's the seed sown among the rocky soil and those sown among the weeds and, you know, those sown among the path. And these people come and some get excited and they're really, you know, motivated about, yeah, I'm going to church and and I'm learning some really neat things. And and all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I really like I like sleeping in on Sunday. And, you know, I don't really like to get up that early. And the, the preacher's too psychotic and the music's too old. And, you know. Oh, I, you know, whatever their excuse is, but they're Christians, they claim, but the scripture claims something different. Now, of course, uh, with, you know, 85% of the people in America claiming to be Christian, it lets you know that very few of them actually are because most of them don't attend church at all, though they may claim to have the title of Christian. Let me just read you some text from the book of Acts. And when I do, I want you to just see how the local church and commitment to the local church is just implicit in all of these texts. In Acts 2.41, this is right at Pentecost, we are told after the gospel was preached, so then those who had received his word, Peter's word, were baptized And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Voila. The local church. Well, they added to like nothing? No, to the local church. Of course. The local church injury. And it was the first day of the local church, by the way. Um, That was the day it was born. And there were three thousand souls added later on in acts 432 it says and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul here and the congregation 
the assembly, the gathering of those who believed the local church. Acts eleven forty six. we read, and when he, that is Barnabas, found him, that is Paul, he brought him to Antioch and for an entire year they met with the church. The church where? At Antioch, the local church at Antioch. There are all the believers in Antioch assembled together in one church. And there Paul went to the church at Antioch and taught the assembly of believers there. And Acts 12.1 speaks of Herod laying hands on some who belonged to the church. They had committed themselves to the local church. In Acts 13, 1, it says, Now there were at Antioch and the church that was there prophets and teachers. Now here we see um, people with certain spiritual gifts as part of that local church. We'll get to that a little bit more later. In Acts 14, 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here they appointed elders for every local church body. So it is clear just even from the very beginning in the outsets of the book of Acts that um, there is a church, there's one in each city that all believers assemble with that church and they identify themselves with the local church there. Uh, the elders that it mentions here in 14 obviously weren't people who were just kind of periodically attending, skipping around from city to city, going to whatever church they want. These were recognized spiritual leaders committed to a single local body, and they were there shepherding the flock of God among themselves. I don't know if you have ever noticed this, but all the New Testament epistles are written to local churches or people in local churches. Have you noticed that? Uh, you know, to, to the saints who are at whatever, uh, to Timothy, um, you know, uh, I have sent you to Ephesus to shepherd the church there or Titus to, to Crete or, or whatever. Everybody's in a church. All the letters are written to people in local churches. If you weren't in a local church, you wouldn't get a letter They they came to and only two churches because it was assumed that anybody who was saved and anybody who loved the Lord would love the Lord's people and want to hang around people in the church because that's where God's organization, his visible body was functioning there. You remember the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3? I mean, what were they? The local churches in those different areas. And Jesus writes specifically to those different local churches and to the believers in those local churches, mentioning people in those local churches, telling the leadership to do certain thing and the congregation to do certain things in those local churches. Why? Because that's where believers go. When they come to Christ, they go to the local church. They commit themselves to the local church and they function and they grow in the local church. There's even instruction there about um, removing practicing church discipline on certain people who were both teaching and modeling uh, false doctrine. And, you know, when you think about it, how do you get somebody out of the church? How do you excommunicate somebody or discipline somebody out of something they're not in? And how do you know they're in? Church membership. Uh, 
you know, the, the, the whole point is, is you can't get somebody out of something they're not in. And, uh, they, these people obviously, um, committing themselves. I think it's kind of hard for us in America to, you know, understand the gravity of what it meant to be a Christian in the first century. I, you know, when we, we become a, ah, I think I might become a member and, you know, you show up to a nice little class and, you know, you, you, somebody talks to you for a couple hours and you file a little testimony and somebody asks you a few questions and then they approve you and you come up here and your life isn't on the line. But back then, when you said, I am going to follow Christ, what that meant is I am going to make a public declaration of my faith by baptism a public testimony that I'm committing myself to be a follower of Jesus. And for the Jews at that time, what that means is I'm turning my back on my heritage. At least that's how the other Jews saw it. Actually, they were fulfilling their heritage, but um, the other Jews saw it as turning their back on their heritage, turning their back on the tradition of the elders. They would have been treated, many of them, as having died. Many of their relatives would have had a funeral for them and considered them dead from that moment on. If they had any sort of business, they probably would have lost all of their Jewish clientele instantaneously. I mean, this was a huge deal. And it wasn't very long, of course, into Christianity before persecution arose and people were being killed and burned at the stake and dipped in tar and fed to animals. I, you know, this is a huge deal. So it wasn't like America where we've had so much freedom and so much ease that becoming a church member is like, ah, and then if you didn't want to change churches, you just write a letter or call the secretary and say, yeah, I'm leaving your church. I'm going somewhere else. And it's like, okay, that, that wasn't happening then. There was the church and you committed to the church and you stayed there unto death. And so church membership to them was very specific, very definitive, and oftentimes um, at risk of a state of living and even their life. And so why would God uh, do this? I mean, why commit yourself to a local body of believers? You know, is it just... You know, so we can like boast and say, well, we've, you know, got 800 members in our church and oh, you only have 300. I will pray for you. Um, you know, what is it? What is it that we're trying to accomplish and why is this so important? Well, these are some of the things we talk about when we when we welcome new members. First of all, God calls you to learn to be equipped with the word in the context of the local church. In Ephesians four eleven through 12, Paul says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Of course, he's writing to a local church and telling them about the people God has given them to equip them in the context of the local church. So those you can imagine the person who is not committed to a local church is basically saying, I don't need anybody to teach me, which is a pretty prideful uh, statement. Secondly, God calls you to corporate worship with the local church. Um, in first Corinthians 11, Paul addresses those who are not celebrating communion correctly. And he says this in verse 17 and 18. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first, first place, when you come together as a church and they talks about all their problems. But notice the point was they were coming together every week to worship. 
every week they were coming together to worship just like they did in Judaism. They were doing the same thing. It was normal. It was right. Um, and so if you say, well, I don't really want to become a member. What you're saying is, is I don't want to experience corporate worship with the church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we read, On the first day of the week, which is Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, a synonym for communion, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. This is great. He preached until Eutychus fell out the window and killed himself, something I have never done, but I would like to try it if I could raise somebody from the dead. The whole point here is on the first day of the week, they were, they were gathering weekly to be instructed. And Paul gets there and he preaches some six hour sermon until one person collapses and dies. Um, in first Corinthians five, four, Paul says concerning the church discipline situation in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, notice he doesn't say if you are assembled, when you're assembled, of course they're assembling, they're assembling weekly as the local church. When you are assembled and I with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to talk about what should be done with this erring brother. Third, God calls you to fellowship with the local church. We saw this from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, so I won't go into it. Obviously, there's great encouragement to be had. There's this interesting thing that Satan tempts people to do, and they almost fall for it every time. When somebody gets caught in a sin, in a trespass, their first thought is often what? Withdraw. Don't go to church. Hide from believers. That is the worst thing you can do. And Satan is so successful at that, that oftentimes you're talking to, have you seen so-and-so? It's like, no. As a matter of fact, I haven't. You start asking around, they disappeared and I haven't seen them for two or three weeks. And you call them up, hi, how you doing? Oh, well, I, uh, I'm fine. You find out that, you know, he's shacking up with his girlfriend or, you know, he's falling back into drugs again or, or whatever. There's some sin and that sin has caused guilt and made them leave the believers, which is the very worst thing to do. Instead, if they just came and said, hey, I've got a problem, of course, the church would surround them, encourage them, um, hold them accountable and help them overcome that, that sin or whatever it is, which is they're hiding from others about. For God calls you to serve in the local church with your spiritual gifts. First Peter 4.10 is each one has received a special gift. If you're a believer, you've received a special gift. You need to employ it as serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So if you're a believer and you're saying, I am a Christian, then you have a spiritual gift. That's good. And it's given to you. We know from first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 for the edification of other people. So God gives you a gift. He says edifies other people in the local church with that gift. Now, if you're saying, well, I don't want to do that. What does that say about you, your obedience to God and your love for other people? I don't love other people. I don't want to obey God. God has given me this talent and I bury it in the ground. And I refuse to bless you with it. Because I don't want to be part of a local church. And a lot of times you think, well, well, can't you like just skip around and, and do your thing? You could say, well, Jack, don't you like speak at other churches? I do. I do. I speak at other churches sometimes. They invite me to come. But, you know, think about it. We can't just, you know, somebody comes in, some stranger, and uh, say, hey, how would you like to teach Sunday school? 
We're not going to do that <laughs> because we are also under the command of God to shepherd the flock of God and to make sure that they're protected. So we need to know people. So they need to come. They need to commit themselves. They need to go through some sort of process. We need to see them over a period of time. And then as we know them better, we then give them greater responsibilities. And as they show themselves faithful, we can then, you know, maybe put them into leadership or whatever. We're not going to do that off of somebody just coming into the door because, listen, you know, I know people or whatever. I've had people come and drop all these names. And um, probably one of the scariest times is this guy came in, pinstripe suit, just had this nice southern accent that just was kind of just soothing and melodious and and um he talked about well i know this guy and oh yeah so and so decided you know so and so it's like yeah it's like oh man i love that guy he goes yeah he says uh we met together for about three years and i was at uh, this church and then the business moving away i just came in here anyways long story short the guy was a con man and uh, uh, we didn't find out until um, he had uh, scammed about five different people in the church of significant amounts of money. And uh, he was working and we were, some of the people were considering having him over our finances. It's like, oh man, that taught me a lesson. Now, the guy was scary, but man, you'd never know it. So, yeah, you need to become a member so we can put you under accountability and so we can watch you, so we can know you, so you can serve the gifts that God has given you to bless other people with. Five, God calls you to be ministered to by others in the local church. Not are you to serve other people, but think of all the people, all the other Christians in the church that have a spiritual gift. And they're there to bless you. God commands them to bless you with themselves and their spiritual gift. And so what's neat about it is how many times have you just been in the foyer, you're talking to somebody after the service, and that person just blesses you? You ever had that happen? Oh, about every week. Yeah. And you just think, man, that was so encouraging. You know, they tell you about what God did in their life. You hear a little story uh, about them, how God answered prayer, or somebody put a $5 bill in their hand, you know, after they prayed for I mean, when you see those things, it's like, oh, that is so good. I mean, it's just a $5 bill, but man, it's cool. And you're encouraged by that. And when the whole body is together and we're doing the one another's of the Bible, we're constantly encouraging and building each other up on the Lord. And so it needs to happen. You need that for your spiritual growth. It's part of how you maintain a strong walk with the Lord. And God calls you to evangelize the lost and bring them into the local church. I know that uh, in some circles, you know, the preacher is supposed to do all the evangelism. And, and uh, you know, I do preach the gospel at least once or twice a year in my sermons. Um, but, uh, you know, listen, uh, if they come in here on Sunday morning, they're going to get it, you know. Uh, but most of the people are outside the wall. There are people in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your spheres of influence. And so you need to share with them. And when they come to Christ, you need to bring them into the local church. And uh, and we're all responsible to evangelize the lost and bring them in um, to the local church. Christ brings them into the universal church when he saves them. We bring them into the local church for equipping Uh, and encouragement in the scriptures. Seven, God calls you to submit to the leadership of the local church. This is a huge one. Uh, uh, Hebrews 13, seven says, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Here, 
there are people who are leading other people in the context of the local church. They are teaching the word of God to people in the local church, and the church is to heed their instruction and imitate their faith as they lead them um, in the teaching and modeling of God's word. He goes on to say in a few verses later in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. So here again, we see these leaders and people submitting to them in the context of the local church. Um, and you see that uh, it is necessary for those who are in the church to submit to their leadership. When somebody says, well, I, I, you know, do church at home. I download sermons. I listen to TV evangelists. See, do you see the, do you see the deficit there? Okay. So what I want to know is who are you edifying with your spiritual gift? Who are you giving to in the context of the local church? What leaders are overseeing your life right now? Are you engaging in corporate worship? Are you experiencing sweet fellowship? Do you see those things? You're missing out on all those things. You're not in church. Listening to a sermon is not church. Um, it's listening to a sermon and I do it all the time, but just because I'm in my yard, you know, digging and I'm listening to a sermon doesn't mean I'm in church. And just because, you know, you're sitting in your easy chair with a pillow on your lap and you're listening to a sermon and eating a crumpet doesn't mean you're in church either. The church is where local believers gather together and it doesn't need to be in a building or it can be in a tent. It can be out in the field, but it's when God's people gather together and it has that structure, the leadership structure that God requires and people are doing things in order as the word of God acquires, it requires so that people can be blessed. Richard Baxter in his work, The Christian Directory, speaking of those who do not commit themselves to membership, says, quote, he therefore will not intrude into their communion and privileges without expressing his consent beforehand to be a member and to submit to the pastoral oversight is to be taken for an invader. Baxter says anybody who wants to come in but doesn't want to submit to leadership, who doesn't want to get involved, who doesn't want to commit to a local body, just think of him as an outsider, as an invader, because he doesn't want God's will for his life. And finally, God calls you to give to the local church. You know, we talk about giving to the Lord. Primarily, that happens in the local church. You give to the Lord by giving to, in, into the local church. And we have missions and lights and facilities and pastors and, you know, people to take care of things and secretaries and all of that to equip you, to encourage you, to facilitate you in the work of the ministry. That's what we're doing. And so your giving to the Lord primarily should be in the local church. So that's why you need to become a member. And if you've ever thought to yourself, well, I don't know about membership. Now you know about it. You know a little bit about what the word of God says and why it's important to commit yourself. Now 